I started thinking uh, in terms of this, uh, in terms of this sermon, uh, started thinking about it a few months ago when I started the idea of um, working on the disciplines. I started looking at a couple of different books and things, a list of what sorts of things should we include in this series. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure to include was worship, because worship is such a vital component of the life of the church. Uh, the communal life, it's a part of every worship service that we do, uh, but it's more than that. It's, it's a discipline that's both internal and external. It's both uh, personal and communal. It's something that you do on your own, and it's something that we do together. And so I thought this is, this is one of those disciplines where we really need to understand what it is and what it isn't. Okay, so let me let me just quickly start with a couple things that worship isn't. Worship is not singing. Now, that doesn't mean it can't include singing, but worship isn't just singing. Worship isn't just uh, even the things you would find in a quote unquote worship service. The reading of the Bible, uh, some prayers, some singing. It's not even you know if you're in a if you're in a church where there's a youth group they're they're doing uh, dramatic representations skits sketches whatever it's it's not just that worship isn't just looking in a hymn book for page number so and so worship isn't just reading the screen while we sing certain songs worship isn't playing a guitar or a banjo or a piano or an organ or drums or uh, nothing. Worship encompasses more than just the action that we do during a worship service. Okay, all of these things are really designed to get us to worship. All right, worship. It, if you really want a definition, here's kind of my definition. And I looked in a couple different places at definitions, and they were all kind of close to this. So I think I'm kind of on the right track in terms of generally what we would all see as worship. Worship, just generally speaking, is the act of responding to God's character and actions with praise and obedience. Worship is the act of responding to God's character and actions with praise and obedience. Let's take it part by part. Worship is a response. It's something we do in response. It's not something we do to curry God's favor. It's not something we do to try to persuade God to act a certain way. Worship is our response. So if you want to think about it, God has taken the initiative with us and worship is our right response. When, when God acts and we see his character in his works, we respond with worship. It responds specifically to those two things, to his character and to his actions, right? We see this throughout scripture. If you look back at the opening part of the Ten Commandments, the very first thing in Exodus chapter 20, this, thus says the Lord, is the very first verse, something like, thus says the Lord. And then verse two is, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then he says, you will have no other gods before. In other words, who he is and what he has done are the basis for which this uh, ongoing covenant relationship we have with God occurs. The basis of us relating with God is who he is and what he's done. And, and so when we worship, 
What we are doing is we are responding to who God is and what he has done. God's character demonstrated in his works gives us the basis upon which we worship. And, and what does that worship consist of? Basically two elements, praise, lifting high the name. We are, we are magnifying God. Now, are we making him any bigger? Are we really lifting him up because he's so low that we got to pick him up? No. No, he is already exalted. But our praise does two things. Number one, it makes us see just how good he is. And number two, it makes others see just how good he is. Now, can we praise God enough that we kind of reach the end and then say, oh, well, I guess we praised you all that you deserve? No. No, it's a continual pursuit. But... Our worship is praise. Our worship is also obedience. We don't just praise God with our lips and then go out and do whatever we want to do. If God really is Lord, if he really is master, then we got to do more than just praise him. we got to serve him. In fact, one of the most common words for worship in the Bible is the word serve. Jesus quoted it to uh, Satan in the desert. Satan tempts him. Oh, all this will be yours if you bow and worship me. And Jesus says, it is written, um, you shall worship God alone. Him only shall you serve. So this, this idea of service, this idea of obedience, of doing what God wants us to do is paramount in worship. It's not just talking about how good he is. It's living it out by obeying his commands. Which means then that there's a couple of things about worship that sometimes we don't often think about. Sometimes uh, uh, the way that worship happens to us seems to be this, this little tiny amount of time in a service or in a couple of services, and that's kind of it, right? Maybe there's a little bit of worship in the car on the way to work one day or while you're, while you're doing something, a certain song comes on, and there's a little bit of worship there. Maybe you get some good news and there's a moment of praise, but that's pretty much it, right? No, not the biblical concept of worship. In fact, let me show you just a couple of things about worship. Worship, first of all, includes the whole creation. When we worship God, we are not worshiping God alone. All of creation is involved in the worship of God. That ought to make you stop and think, hey, wait a minute. Sometimes we feel like we are the sore thumb when we are worshiping. There's not many of us worshiping. There's a whole lot of people that are at home that aren't worshiping God, that are mowing their lawns or that are, that are doing whatever other activities they want to do, sleeping in late, making snacks for football games this afternoon. You know, There's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of other things. And, and so we feel almost like the sore thumb. We feel like Elijah on top of Mount Carmel facing off 450 prophets of Baal by ourselves. And we feel like there's nobody else but in reality, the ones who don't worship God stick out like the sore thumb because all creation is worshiping God. We see this in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is on the, uh, uh, on the way into Jerusalem during the triumphal entry and, and the people are saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, you know, quoting, quoting from, oh, what, what psalm is that? My mind just went blank. There's a psalm they're quoting from, and I, I, I just lost the number. But they're quoting from that psalm, and they're, they're, they're praising him. Hosanna, save us, 
And the Pharisees turn to Jesus and they say, you, you got to you gotta get on to them for this. Rebuke your servants. Rebuke your disciples for saying this kind of stuff. Because this is blasphemous kind of stuff. Jesus turns to them and, and this is what he says to the Pharisees. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Creation stands at the ready to praise God. The eagle soaring in flight up in the heavens. The sound of the wind going over its wings. The, the cry of a newborn baby. The chirping of a bird wanting a snack. We have chickens next door to us. The chickens are sometimes a little annoying. There's one rooster in the batch. He's particular about it. There's one, one of the hens, though, that is just like, it's grating to hear, hear her. And she's constantly yakking. Even that is praise to God. All of creation is praising God. The roars of mighty waters crashing on the seashore is praise to God. The thunder and lightning are the clouds echoing his praise. When you see that, when you see the point that all of creation worships God, it completely changes your view. In fact, look at Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. So even in the quiet of night, where if you're in the right place, all those tiny dots of light, far, far distances away, them by shining are praising God galaxies in motion praising God in their movements. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters below the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever. He gave them a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, not just the heavens, not just the galaxies, not just interstellar space. Praise him here on the globe, you, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Have you ever stopped to think that that blueberry bush in your yard is sprouting blueberries in praise to God? Worship involves all of creation. The whole psalm continues that way. I'll let you read the rest on your own. Worship doesn't involve all of doesn't just uh, uh, involve all creation. It involves the whole person too. It involves all of you. One of the things that I read: uh, you can't worship God spiritually if you're not also worshiping God emotionally, physically, mentally. Now I know we're Baptists. We have to be calm. Maybe raise your hand a little bit every now and then. But we can't be running all up and down the aisles. I understand that. Let everything be done with order. Okay, fine. But is there no place for physical activity in worship? Hmm. Is there no place for us to shout with joy in worship? You can ask a hundred and something thousand fans in pick your favorite college team stadium. They think there's reason to find joy in worship. Now, I'm not saying everybody there is worshiping uh, football. That's not the, the case, but some do. And, and they don't hold back their emotions. Really, they don't hold back their emotions. You gotta be careful who you watch a game with. One time, uh, we were at Carrie's parents' house, and they said, we gotta go, the game's on. 
turns out um, they like they like a certain team a whole lot, and so so we had to get out of Dodge before <laughs> before anything bad happened, and and we witnessed something we didn't want to witness. Worship involves the whole person. There's room for emotions when we're worshiping God. There's room for physical activity when we're worshiping God. Now, maybe I can't jump up right now. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. There's room for worship with our bodies. There's room for more than just our voices and our brains. It takes all of us to worship. Listen to Jesus's words in Mark chapter 12. This is verse 30. He's asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is what he says. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What's he saying? Love God with everything. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But notice, it's not just love him with everything you think. It's not just love him with everything you see. It's love him with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. Love him with all your strength. The way a, a Hebrew professor put it to me, love him with everything. Love him with everything else. And whatever's left over, love him with that too. Everything. And we should worship with everything as well. Uh, uh, for, uh, yeah, First Chronicles 28. David is, is commissioning Solomon. He says, and you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him, watch this, with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. What he's telling Solomon is, you got to serve him with everything. It's not just enough to love him. It's not just enough to think of him. You've got to serve him with everything. Psalm 71, my lips shall shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. There's the connection with lips and soul, body and soul, joining together in worship. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, what am I to do, Paul asked? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Spirit and mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. You can't just do it part way. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 21. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might. This isn't just worship that we're going to stand here and we're going to sing a hymn. No, this is singing with everything you've got. Worship takes all of you. It doesn't just take part of you. It doesn't just take one section of your life. It's not something you, you fragment up into different pieces. Worship takes every bit of who you are. It involves the whole person. So not only does it, it doesn't include all creation and involve the whole person, it encompasses the whole life. Every waking moment, every thought, every action, every word, all of it should be worship. Boy, it's hard to do that, isn't it? How, how, do you, how do you do everything in worship? It takes being in God's presence Monday through Saturday to know how to be in his presence Sunday. If all you do is come here to worship, and that's it, 
even every now and then you might throw some in during the week, but for the most part, all of your experience of God, you pretty much wait till Sunday, you're going to be deaf to his voice. You're not going to know, you're not going to hear it. And even when you do hear it, you're going to be much less likely to get the fullness of the experience. But I tell you what, you practice the presence of God day in and day out. You beg God from Monday through Saturday, every moment of the day, seeking, is this word what you want me to say? Is this action what you want me to do? How can I serve you? How can I please you? How can I magnify you in this conversation? What can I do in this meeting to bring you glory? What, what should I put in my shopping cart that will honor you? How should I spend my free time? How should I spend my money? Better yet, how should I spend your free time and your money that you've given me? Worship, when you realize that everything belongs to God, worship is that attitude that seeks to return it to him, to praise and obey him. We recognize who God is and what he's doing. And so we respond in praise and obedience. Colossians 3.17 sums it up well. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything, word or deed. Whether it's something that you're saying or something that you're doing or something that you're thinking or something that you're feeling, seek his presence. Don't just say, I'm going to do this, now God bless it. Say, what would you have me do? And then when you ask him to bless it, he will, because it was his idea. One of my favorite scenes is from Monty Python in the quest for the Holy Grail when some God unveils what he's going to have Arthur do. He's going to have Arthur go search for the Holy Grail. And Arthur says, good idea, Lord. And God says, of course it's a good idea. <laughs> it's like, it's God's idea. Of course it's good. So when we, when we surrender to him, the whole life, it's going to work because it's his idea. Psalm 33, verse 1, shout for joy in the Lord. Can can you tell that I like reading from the Psalms? It just it, it's it's emotive. You, you gotta you gotta shout when it says shout, right? Shout for joy in the Lord, oh you righteous! Watch this. Praise befits the upright. It's like a pair of pants that fits just right. That's hard to find sometimes, isn't it? My clothes keep getting too small or too big. None of my clothes befit me. But praise befits the upright. Fits perfect every time. Uh, John, I said this morning we were going to go to John 4. The woman at the well, Jesus is talking with her and um, uh, she's asking questions. Uh, he asks her for a drink of water and she says, he says, how come you're asking me for a drink of water? You know, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're, a, you're male. I'm female. You know, what's all this about? And Jesus, Jesus says, you know, if you knew who was asking you, you'd ask me and I'd give you water so that you wouldn't ever thirst again. And that starts this deep spiritual conversation. Eventually, Jesus is like, well, well, why don't you go get your husband and bring him here? And, and she's like, I don't have a husband. And he said, well, you're right about that. You've had several, and, and the guy you're with now ain't your husband. And she is, like, astonished that he knew all this. And then she says, well, wait a minute. You Jews say y'all should worship over there. And we believe you should worship over here. Which one's right? Now that looks like a change of conversation. But it's not. 
Because this whole conversation has been directed at her seeking the true God. And what seems like a a completely uh, uh, off-the-wall question really just ties right in. And Jesus makes it tie right in. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. In other words, you want to know what that means? What that means is it's not just enough to feel it, and it's not just enough to obey the letter of it. It takes both the spirit and the truth. And then you want to know something even more amazing. Look at the next part of the verse. For the Father is seeking... such people to worship him. God actually wants our worship. He doesn't need it. He's just as much God without it, but he seeks people to worship him anyway. God may not need you, but he wants you. God is spirit, the next verse says, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. About the only thing left is to... to, um, well, to worship. 